Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. It's been almost 10 years since I've started this podcast. And first off, I'm going to recommend that everybody start a podcast or at least have the philosophy I did when I started this, which is I didn't want anyone else to give me a show. For 20 years, I had been pitching like TV shows, radio shows, all kinds of shows. And, you know, it's really hard to pitch a TV show. Like it's really, you're, you're, you get in a room with a bunch of, I'm going to say it, not very bright people. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Some of them probably are, are very bright, but they're also scared. They're scared of taking on, they're of taking risks that are going to get them fired. Everybody in the TV business, and look, I worked in the TV business. I worked at HBO for several years. And again, I've had experience pitching shows to every single network in the world. And they always say, we want to do something new. We want to be the first to do something new. We want to take risks. And then at the end of the day, nobody wants to do anything new and nobody wants to take any risks. And so a podcast, I, and ever since I was a kid, I love the idea of having an interview show, of being like a talk show host. I mean, I, I loved it. I remember, well, even like in the 90s when I wasn't a kid anymore and I was doing the website for a book called The Late Shift, which was a history of the late night talk shows, Letterman Show, The Tonight Show, all these shows. I just was fascinated with the idea of being a talk show host. But then I realized even those talk shows are just BS. It's, it's the guest comes on for three minutes. They have a pre-planned stupid interview. Like none of those interviews are ever interesting. And when they get interesting, usually the guest is upset that it got interesting. And it seems so stupid. So the podcast, I can create my own show and do it about whatever I want. And if people like it, I'll know because the show will do well and people will want more of it and they'll listen to it. And I'll, I'll describe a little more what I've learned from the podcast. I mean, now after having like over, I don't know, must be like 1300 guests or more, hopefully I've learned, I don't know what my life would be like if I hadn't spoken to these 1300 people, but I've read a lot of books by these guys. I've talked to a lot of interesting heroes of mine, really. Like I, you get to call up anybody you want and have them on your show and ask them any questions you want. It's an amazing thing. And I got to choose myself to do it, not to use overuse that phrase, but I did choose myself there. And gosh, it's been, it's been a long time and I hope I keep doing it for another 10 years. And I've been fortunate Jeez. to have a great producer like Jay. What, what were you about to say, Jay? I was about to ask you, like, what was your, I mean, obviously you always wanted the show, right? Always wanted the show, but what was the event or incident just, just prompted you? Like, I'm just going to pick up a phone and just start recording people. Like, do you remember the exact time, like exact mindset, like you wanted to do it? Yeah. I mean, a couple of people wanted me to do 
a financial newsletter for them. This is back again in 2013. And I didn't really want to do one for a lot of reasons. I was already, I, I just, I liked writing about finance, but I was also writing more about things like the book, choose yourself, like the book, choose yourself. had just come out. And finally, some people said, listen, why don't you just do a podcast? And if that goes well, maybe you'll decide to do a newsletter. I'm sorry. I'm just curious. Have you heard of a podcast then? Because 2013 podcast was really, really new, right? Very new. Well, I didn't well, even I know mean, about podcasts. podcasts. Been, look, I think I was doing the very first podcast back in 1996 or 19, yeah, 1996. I, for, for HBO, I, did a web show where I would interview people right. at three in the morning. It was called 3 a.m. So so every Wednesday night, I would go out in the streets of New York City at three in the morning and interview whoever I encountered. Because on a Saturday night, if you're out at three in the morning, I get it. You went to a party or whatever. But if you're out at 3 a.m. on a Wednesday night, usually something not very good is going on. And it was great. I did that for three years and I interviewed. 20 people every week, 50 weeks a year. So that's like about, so for, so I interviewed about 3,000 people. Is that right? I don't know. Holy shit. Yeah, uh, for that 3 a.m. show. And each week we'd pick the four best interviews. And it wasn't, you couldn't really stream audio back then. The bandwidth wasn't enough, but we would transcribe the interviews and I had different designers each week design the website. And we occasionally would put up video, but it, but again, it wasn't very easy. But I did that for for a long time. I mean, three years interviewing people at three in the morning. It was, and I'm not a night person. Like I go to sleep like, you know, 8 p.m., 9 p.m. latest and wake up really early. And I remember one time, this was, again, this is like 1995. One time I was at my <laughs> girlfriend's house and it was about three in the morning and she was angry at me and kicked me out of the house. <laughs> what do you do? Uh... I don't even really know. She was just, she was an angry person. Like she was always really angry. And so we didn't really okay. last long, but I remember I, I, she lived in the East village and I was, she was kicked me out. She just, she starts yelling at me like, go. And I, I leave and it's like a Wednesday night and the streets were packed three in the morning, Wednesday night. And I'm like, what are all these people doing out? Like, don't they have work the next day or school the next day? Like, who are all Wait. these people? So I got insanely curious. Like, what are all these people doing outside at three in the morning? It was also like, how how did they dress? Because like, I felt like there are certain type of people that go outside at like past 12 o'clock. They always dress crazy. I don't know if, if that ever occurred to you. Yeah, I mean, look, again, I interviewed thousands of people during this period. And right. I mean... I remember why they always had some weird, like well, I remember one time I interviewed somebody who had like, I don't know what you call it. Like he wanted to dress as if like all his limbs were like prosthetics. Like he had a metal hand. <laughs> he had a real hand, but he put what? like metal over one hand. So it would seem like a prosthetic hand. And another guy had like a pet rat and pet. Wait, wait, uh, actual pet yeah, rat? Like, like on his shoulder, rat? a pet rat. What? <laughs> I remember there was one guy who I would always run into. You eventually you start running into the same people at three in the morning. I, there was this one guy right. who literally called himself Twenty Four Hour Kahati, and he <laughs> he would only be out at night. So he was more like Twelve Hour Kahati because he was only out at night. <laughs> but but I, he he basically he kind of represented the philosophy that I sort of picked up doing this three a.m. show, oh. which is that there's a flip side to life. Like we always think of life as 
wake up, have your coffee, go to work, come home, eat dinner, spend time with family, go to sleep, repeat. And, but this was a flip side of life where all these people, for better or for worse, had to kind of figure out how to live in another way. They didn't have the normal nine to five. Maybe they were runaway kids. Maybe they were prostitutes or pimps or drug dealers or drug addicts. Maybe they were mentally ill. I mean, I ran into all of these types of people. Maybe they were, you know, everybody had something. Everybody had a, had a story. Like I remember one time for one of these, I had an idea. I'm going to stand outside the Chelsea Hotel at three in the morning. I lived at the Chelsea Hotel, but I'm going to stand outside the Chelsea Hotel and just interview everybody who was coming in. And, you know, there was like one kid, not kid, like maybe he was in his 20s. He like rides his bicycle up to the Chelsea Hotel, rides into the lobby. And I'm like, what are you doing here at three in the morning? And he said, oh, I'm visiting my mom. Who visits their mom at three in the morning in a hotel? And quote unquote mom, yeah. you know? And a, another another girl came in and she was like at three, at three in the morning, she was a party planner, but she was dressed like a, like a medieval knight, like with a sword and everything. And, and then someone what? told me later, like one of the, the guys at the desk told me later that she was a prostitute and she had like the penthouse in the Chelsea hotel. And, but, uh, and she even said to me at the, at the end, you should come by and visit me sometime. We'll hang out. And I, I never did, of course, but everywhere I went, there was always strange stories. And do you think you can do that now? Like given what's going on with the world, like the crime rate and goes up and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, look, do people are doing would... it on TikTok. Hey, how much money do you make? Let's see what hot girls yeah. make for, do for a living. Uh, what but do you do? do it, uh, That's what's it, up. But it, but they do it in the normal time. They don't go out at 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, you can still do it. I mean, the only thing now is I don't think it's as interesting. Like New York City mm. has cleaned up. There's no, like I used to go to the meatpacking district because literally meat was packed there during the day. I don't even know what that means, meatpacking. But, and then at night, the real meaning of the meatpacking district was it was all these uh, then referred to as transvestite prostitutes. Now, I don't know what, you call them non-binary prostitutes. I don't know what you would call them. <laughs> and uh, but they had a, the they had a hard right. life. Like a lot of those, uh, right? You know, let's just call them women because they were they were dressed and looked like women and so on. And and some of them were going through the surgery. And they a lot of them were abused. You know, in jail uh, when from the age of like ten on. You know, or juvenile detention. And they were raped and abused repeatedly as kids. So their sexual identity was was really um, confused, you know, in the way particular to them. And so they couldn't really survive during the day. Like who's going, McDonald's is not going to hire them during the day. And they were trans prostitutes. That's the only thing they felt they could do. And the laws were pushing them more and more west in Manhattan. That's where the meatpacking district was. That was always a reliable spot for good 3 a.m. interviews. That and the East Village, where there was a lot of there were a lot of homeless kids, and you know 42nd Street, which was always busy 24 hours a day. Like it's it's amazing how 42nd Times Square was was still pretty seedy then. It was cleaning up. Disney had bought basically every building on on 42nd Street. Now they're all Broadway theaters, but at the time it was still a little seedy, and you know, but it was constantly busy. There was always so much noise in Times Square at three in the morning, I, you couldn't even hear yourself talk. Very busy. Hmm. And I remember one time I went to, 
there was a bus stop in Queens. And this bus stop, if you, if you got on the bus, the bus only had one destination, which was Rikers Island, a jail. And the law was that if you could bail someone, uh, someone could be bailed out of jail 24 hours a day. So if someone was being bailed out at three in the morning, the bus would take the parents or friends or whatever with the bail money. And then they would take the, you know, the prisoner home as well on the same bus. And it would, it always ran. It ran at three in the morning. And at the bus stop, it was, there was all the prostitutes, pimps, and drug dealers because their customers were coming back from jail. So they would meet their customers uh, at the bus stop. And I don't know, just I had story after story. Wait, so so is that where you actually like honed your interview skill? Yeah, because like because when you talk to those people at 3 a.m. in the morning, there's no topic. You literally just walk up to the person and you just start to talking to the person. Yeah, so there's a couple there was a couple of challenges in doing that. One is first off, I'm a very shy person mm-hmm. normally, and you have to just walk up to somebody and start talking to them. And and then you have to convince them to tell you what they're doing. So like a lot of times people were up to no good. Like, and I was taking their photo, I was taking videos, I was, you know, taking their name if they if they chose to give it to me. And so people were like, you know, cheating on their spouses, visiting prostitutes, visiting drug dealers. And again, most of the activity, at least then, was not, you know, all that on the up and up. And so then I had to kind of like let's say, let's say a couple's arguing, and they're arguing at three in the morning, and it's just some random, weird-looking guy comes up to them and say, "Hey, hey, you guys, what are you arguing about?" <laughs> like they're not going to just stop arguing and say, "Well, you know, I think he, my boyfriend is cheating on me." They're not going to just stop. like sometimes people get angry at me and start yelling at me and trying to hit me. And I remember one time though, I did get a couple that was arguing and. She found some girl's phone number in his pocket, and he was a restaurant owner. So of course, he was like cheating on her, and they were like arguing there. And you always wonder, like, what happened? You know, one time I don't know if I ever told you this story. One time, I uh, was so we would end the day. I, I would go with a, a production assistant and a photographer, and you know, a couple people. And one time, we always end the day at the Empire Diner, which was on Eleventh Avenue and around Twenty Second Street. The waitress would always tell me if anything was going on in the diner, and she said, "Oh, there's some party going on back there." So I go up to the the this these two tables where everybody seemed like they knew each other, and I said, "Oh, what's going on?" And this guy says in his British accent, "Oh, me and my girlfriend are celebrating that we just got engaged," and and she and all her friends are nodding and they're all laughing and smiling, and and I said, "Well, I don't believe it. You guys should just should kiss, prove it." And so he reached over and kissed her and they started making out. And his friends are like, dude, what are you doing? And it turns out he was engaged, but to a girl back in London and they had never oh, even spoke before this guy and this girl. And, and then what happened was because of that moment, I found this out later, because of that moment, he left his girlfriend, his fiance, and moved in with this girl he had just kissed. Uh, and- so basically, James, you have ruined someone's marriage. Yeah. And well, then you started me, a new that marriage. Might, that marriage would have been ruined anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so you practically just helped that dude. And well, yeah, and I, 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 the way I found out was, so I was in 
Aspen for the HBO, the Aspen Comedy Festival, which HBO sponsored. Um, this was like six months later. And I just randomly ran into some, to some guy who was like, hey, you're that guy who interviewed us. I was at that table. And then he told me the story of what happened, that this whole thing happened, that they, these guys, this couple moved in together and then they broke up. And, you know, it was all very exciting. But also I should add, at the Aspen Comedy Festival, my job, I didn't just go for fun. My job there was to interview people, like to interview comedians. Wait, but you weren't, but you weren't, uh, you weren't interview. You were a journalist in Hedgeville, right? You were just programmer. No, How do you get a, to... I'm, I'm not an ex in anything. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but how do you get the the, the part then, the job then? I chose myself to do it. Like, and you could say, just well, how do you do that? Don't like... you have a boss at HBO? Yeah, but at the time, I suggested this was 1995. I suggested I suggested HBO do HBO.com, and so uh, you know, and as part of the deal there, I did the website. Nobody else knew how to make a website, so I did the website, and I created. I I said I asked the CEO Jeff Bukas, hey, just like you do original TV programming, like, you know, all the, all the original HBO shows we know and love, how you do original web programming. And he basically was like, I don't care. Just, just do it. It's your generation. And so I would always pitch to every department in HBO. And I did this on my own. Hey, why not do a website around the comedy festival? Why not do this website called 3am? And so I basically, it was like, I was running my own little TV network on the web. And right. so at the HBO company, at this Aspen Comedy Festival, I interviewed Roddy Dangerfield, George Carlin, like all these comedians that are like, you know, super famous. And at the time they were famous also. It was a real big honor to interview them. But I had already done a lot of interviewing, you know, pretty early on. And actually at the age of 12, I did my first paid in my 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 first paid piece of interviewing and writing. For the South Brunswick Central Post, I interviewed a bunch of politicians, like the Speaker of the House, various senators and congressmen. I was really into politics, so I interviewed all these people. But that's another story. But anyway, this I, I really think this HBO thing, 3 a.m., was like the first podcast. It was like a podcast about what people are up to at 3 in the morning in New York City. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realized, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The 
The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Fast forward to 2013. What triggered you to like, hey, I'm just going to sit down and talk to this person? First, what triggered me was, and what triggers a lot of things that happen to people, is frustration. And oh. it's an interesting thing because let's say you have let's say you have a mildly bad job. Like you don't really like what you do, but you kind of like your coworkers, you kind of like your boss. Uh, I'll stay here another year. So if you're if if a situation or if you have, if you're of a mildly bad marriage, you're like, ah, I don't want to be single. I could deal with this, you know, until the kids grow up or whatever. So you put up with it for another year, another two years, and so on. So mildly bad and mildly frustrated are not enough to provoke change. Things have to be really bad to make you change. Like like if you get fired, for instance, you'll change your jobs, obviously. Or if yeah. you really hate your boss, like your boss yells at you every day, you'll you'll change your job. But mildly bad situations, you should change, but it doesn't feel strong enough to make a decision just yet. You could put up with it a little while longer, even though you should make the change in most cases. So, you know, I was, I was always going on, you know, in the OOs, I was writing a lot about finance and I was going on CNBC every week to talk stocks. CNBC wanted me to do a show. Fox business wanted me to do a show and I didn't really enjoy it. Like I didn't really like, you know, I would always feel like I'd have to take a shower afterwards. I'd go on CNBC and they'd say, you know, talk about your five favorite stocks and, or talk about the economy. And I just didn't like, and they, or, or argue with this guy about gold or whatever. And I just didn't, and you go on for three minutes. You don't really feel like you say anything substantial or interesting. And the anchors are kind of clueless as to what's going on. They're just being, you know, handsome Pretty, or beautiful. Yeah. And, it, you know, I would prepare for hours for a three-minute segment. And then it would, I'd have to drive out to the studio. I'd have to drive back. So the whole process for a three-minute appearance would take like six hours, it, but it was only mildly bad because I also liked being on TV. It was kind of exciting. And then I remember in 2009, there was a period where CNBC just, and Fox Business too, just stopped having me on. And the reason was, is because that was, you know, during the financial crisis, early, to, you know, late 2008, early 2009. And I was very optimistic. I was saying this too shall pass. And now's the time when things are at their lows. Now's the time to buy stocks. And I would, and I would, I refuse to be pessimistic. And they were like, you got to be a little pessimistic to look at the world out there. And I'm like, yeah, this is the time to be optimistic. Don't be optimistic when things are at a high, be optimistic when there's opportunity. And so there was a period where they just stopped booking me for things. And I was a regular, like I was a, an official contributor. I was right. on the week, um, but they just stopped booking me for a while. And I got scared. I thought, oh, the key to my credibility as a you know finance specialist or whatever was getting on CNBC and all these business shows. And I thought I would lose that credibility and like people would recognize me in the street and, and I thought, oh, this is great. But 
I realized I was letting my own happiness be dictated by CNBC and or or other financial institutions like that, you know, media financial media companies. And I just hated that feeling. And that's why I started, I stopped going on CNBC uh, as much. I still continued for a few more years, but not as much. And I just started writing my own stuff about my own life. And that, and when I wanted a show or when I wanted a talk show, rather than pitch some TV company, hey, I could do your late, late, late show or whatever. I said, well, why do I need to do that when I could just do a podcast? And, you know, podcasting, it, it, it was, not everybody was familiar with them, but it was, it was starting to get out there. I mean, guys like Joe Rogan had a podcast and Mark Maron and there were a couple others. Were they before you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Joe Rogan what? around since 2009 doing a podcast, I think. And Mark did, Maron also around that. Did Tim Ferriss come after you or before you? So after like, so Tim Ferriss was like my second or third guest on my podcast. Right. And shortly after that, a few weeks after that, he calls me and says, hey, can I talk to you for a few minutes about podcasting? And I said, sure. And so he asked me, and this is the Tim Ferriss style and method, I, which I really learned from observing him do his podcast. But he asked me like a hundred questions about podcasting, like everything you could possibly ask about podcasting. And then a few weeks after that, he started a podcast and it was great. And that's how he launched his podcast. He, he was about six months after me, I think. And, but he, I remember he must've called not just me, but other podcasters. But, but again, I, I, I don't know, actually, as far as I know, he just called me, but I'm assuming he called others, but he asked me a ton of questions and I really appreciate how he interviewed people he thought were doing a good podcast. And that's, you know, look, his, his show is the Tim Ferriss show, just like I'm the James Altucher show. And he has an interview format and he does a really good job. I would say what he does even better is, you know, he, he's really good with the podcast notes and, um, you know, putting summaries and sending out emails about each podcast. I used to do that more. Um, like when I started, I did that, but he really kept it up consistently. And right. Yeah. Because a lot of hard work because you have to, it's, it's like a full-time job with those. Yeah. I mean, Tim's main thing is, is, is his podcast, but he doesn't do as many as I do. So it's, is able, he's able to do, uh, that I, I, you know, I have at least three guests or, you know, I do three episodes a week. So, and he does like one every week or so. And I don't know if he's as regular, but he was in the beginning and he's got a great show. And, uh, you know, I would say that the main guys who were sort of had similar shows to me back then were like Jordan Harbinger, Lewis Howes. That's how I, that's how I met a lot of those guys. Was, was gotcha. because we were all doing, we were all kind of growing up together in podcasts. So you have done 10 years now, right? Almost 10 years. Yeah. So you figure three episodes a week on average, right? Because uh, there were some years where I did two episodes a week and some years I did four episodes a week. I remember, and you know, I've had a good bunch of podcast producers like Ryan Holiday's been, you, you, you're in the job right now that Ryan Holiday used to fill. Like Ryan Holiday used to be the producer right. of the, the podcast when I first started. I remember Ryan, when I, when I wanted to do four episodes a week, Ryan was like, you know, that's too many people. They have to, they, they'd have to devote then like eight hours a week to listening to you. But my view on that, at the time I thought he was right. And for what he was saying, he was correct. But people pick and choose what episodes they listen to. So I wanted to give them a wide variety of choices. They don't have to listen to every one. I think people thought then you had to listen to every episode of your favorite podcast, but nobody does that really. Right. So 
I've learned a lot throughout the whole process and I definitely got better as an interviewer. Like I look back at some of my old episodes and oh, I can't, I can't even handle listening to them. I remember even the Peter Till episodes, you were just listening in the bathroom. You're just not listening, recording in the bathroom. It's so echoey because you're just recording it on your phone or something like that. Yeah. I mean, all the software was different. Sometimes I would just call people on the phone and hit record and then I would be like driving in a car and record an episode. But and, how has uh, your how has your interview style changed over the past ten years? I assume it's very different from where you first started. Yeah, I think I think I'm a lot less scared. I mean, I'm always a little intimidated by the people I interview. Like again, a lot of these people I interview are, you know, people I've either admired or they've been heroes to me, or I'm just super curious about some aspect of their lives or, or, or one of their books that they've written. And I mean, I don't have someone on unless I'm like super curious about what they're up to and, and how they are, who they are. And so I was often very nervous and that would affect my interviewing. And right. I, there's I one I, person that hang up on you, right? I remember. Uh, Biz Marquis hung up on me. Uh, right. I feel like I've talked about this recently on the podcast, but no, Biz recently, Marquis, a while ago. Yeah, Bismarck, he hung up on me when uh, I, I asked him, you know, how does it feel to have just one hit? And I didn't mean it to be in a bad way. Like, his hit is a huge hit. <laughs> um, yeah. And, well, he, like, you- and he said, no, I've done more things. And I said, yeah, but if, if you go to China and ask people to, like, hum a song by Bismarck, they're all going to hum the same song. I, now I'm forgetting what the song was. I don't even know. I don't even know who he is. I probably know that somebody. I just don't know who he is. But like, would you, would you? Yeah, oh, just a friend. Like if you just put in Bismarck, it even comes up, Bismarck, just a friend. He's, he was a funny guy, but yeah, he, he didn't really like that question. So he hung up. He's like, oh, no, man. But the, from, from that point on, were you afraid to offend anyone after that? No, I never really tried to offend anyone because I'm all about finding people I'm curious about and, and I look up to it. I'm asking them quest, sincere questions and I want them, you know, there's a couple of things when you do, for me, when I do a right. podcast, A, I want to be inspired by my guest because they might be oh, a hero of mine. And B, I want to do a good job. I want them to think I'm smart and that I did a good job interviewing. And I know this sounds kind of like childish, but it's true. And C, I kind of want them to like me and and be my friend <laughs> for every guest. Right. And again, these are like, kind of childish goals, but you know, I what? have become friends with some of these people who have been my heroes, which is who was the who who was the guest that you become friend after? Oh I mean you know AJ, you know AJ way beforehand, right? And the AJ Yeah, I mean a, a lot friend. of people I knew anyway, but you know, some people I became friends with, you know, one one big example, like when I was a kid, like my hero in chess was Gary Kasparov. And then we ended up being oh, yeah. friends after he came on the podcast a few times. And, you know, I've had a couple of people like that. And I really like right. all the people on the, who have come on as guests, you know, or, or let's say 95% of them. Right. So, okay. So now we have like, so the James Auto Show, we have like five different series, sub-series in there now, right? Because we have Sad House of Friday. We have Mix Your Millionaire, Wall Street Insane, My Favorite Things, and James Mentor People and more. Which one is your favorite? Of the sub-series? Uh, you know, I just like, I just like experimenting with format. And I think, listen... First off, everybody should do a podcast because it's a moment where you really choose yourself. You know how many people listen to a TV show on CNBC, for instance? 
fewer people than listen to this podcast. So, uh, you know, most, most cable TV, nobody listens to. So to have a show where someone's actually listening to you is such a pleasure and to be able to offer something of value that could potentially help other people, which is always my, my goal is to, to, I forgot to mention my biggest goal with guests is to hopefully the guests inspire others, the listeners. Okay. I always have this questions because I want to start a podcast, but I don't know why I want to start. How do you find a niche and your passions? Oh, I oh. like like me, like I love a lot of different things, but I don't know if I'm passionate into one. And also, well, well, that was my point is that a starting a podcast, you could call up anyone you want and ask them to come on your podcast. Some will say yes, many will say no, right. no matter how big you are, because because maybe they're busy or whatever. But uh, so that's always a pleasure. The other thing is don't get stuck in one niche. You're gonna get you're gonna run out of material. Like sometimes I don't feel like interviewing anyone. Like this episode, we're not interviewing any. You're interviewing me, and right, yeah. uh, you know sometimes I want to play around with formats to see maybe this. You know, so I I did Ask Altucher. I did Side Hustle Fridays where we talked about side hustles. I did you know James will make you a millionaire. James will mentor you. We did Good or Bad with with AJ. I did Question of the Day with with Steve Demner. So. You, you know, that was a separate podcast, but you always want to um, experiment with format and and maybe you come across something that's that's new and interesting and you, you feel excited about. And you always got to keep it fresh. Every part of your life, you always have to keep, you know, change is the only thing that doesn't change. So there's always right. change in, in life. And, and so you have to embrace that and look for the change, not run from the change. And so having experimenting with different formats is a must. So if someone is just doing a podcast, like if you're doing a podcast that's very niche, it's only going to have a limited time span. So there was a great podcast. I don't know if it's still running. I don't think it is. I haven't heard of it lately, but the podcast was called Denzel Washington is the greatest actor ever, period. And I thought that was such a great title for a, a podcast because it's kind of funny and it's you know what you're getting. It's just about Denzel. Every episode they analyze another Denzel Washington movie, and that's a great idea. But it's going to have a limited run because there's only so many Denzel Washington movies, right. and uh, you know I wanted to be broader than that. And so some people thought I was going to do just a podcast about money, which would be so boring to me. And so like I think it was on my second or third episode I had on Wayne Dyer, who was this big spiritual oh, yeah. writer. And then I had on Tucker Max, who's, you know, a writer of, um, I hope they serve beer in hell and assholes finish first. You know, these are major bestsellers. Definitely. They weren't podcasts about money. So I think people got the idea right away that, oh, this is going to be something different. And so I think now when you, people start a podcast, they think they have to niche and look, if you do niche down, that will find an audience. Cause you, cause you'll get people who are really obsessed with that niche. And I like John Lee Dumas's advice. So John Lee Dumas has a podcast called Entrepreneurs on Fire. It's a great podcast. He does five episodes a week and it's about different types of entrepreneurs. But he suggested, he suggests to people in general, niche down twice. So um, let, okay, you're going to do a, a podcast about careers, niche down again. Okay. You're going to do a podcast about lawyers, niche down again, third, third niche down. Oh, I'm going to do a podcast about divorce lawyers. Okay, that's a triple niche down, and that would probably be an interesting podcast. But I can never do that. I like to be about general peak performance and other fascinating stories. 
So, so mostly it's about peak performance, but I, sometimes when I do these mini series, it's about other things. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Okay, so after these 10 years, after all these 10 years, what is the biggest takeaway from the podcast for you? For me, it's a lot because like, because the first time I met you and worked on a show was Jesse Itzler. That's my yeah. first time ever dealt with podcasts, my first time ever record podcasts, my first time ever heard about podcasts. And then I fall in love right away because I learned so much from Jesse Itzler, from AJ Jacobs. And you know, eventually I went on to become the full-time engineer. Yeah, and then now producer. Yeah, so Jesse Itzler, let's just take that case right there. So this was um, this was like the, a, the almost exactly uh, seven years ago. This was like in March of 2016. And Jesse Itzler had just written a book about training with SEAL. I forgot the name of the book, Living with a SEAL, 31 Days Training. Right. And uh, he had lived with David Goggins for 31 days and, and he wrote a book about the experience and it was really intense. But Jesse Isler is a great example where the guy's larger than life. He's like super charismatic. As Sarah Blakely exp- uh, told me about Jesse, because Sarah, his wife, and, and a, a billionaire, she's the founder of Spanx, she came on the podcast also and told me that you know Jesse thought very highly of me, and so she came on the podcast because she, if he says something, then she always listens. He's got a very distinct personality. But he's gone through his whole set of failures and difficulties and and what you learn when you talk to these 1300 people, you know, and these are the best performers in their industries in the world, like everybody ranging from Richard Branson to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was, you know, the highest scoring basketball player ever until I think LeBron James broke his record a few weeks ago. But um, life is hard. Life is really, really hard for people and people get frustrated and they get upset. And the harder you try to be, something interesting and something compelling and to do something interesting, the harder it is and the more painful and frustrating it is. And again, like I said earlier, it's only like with real pain that you feel like you need to change. And so all these people had experienced really painful things, everybody. And so they felt like they needed change. And it was the change that they created that led to them learning. Not you know, Nobody becomes a success just by luck or very few people. There's on top of that, there's a huge amount of work. And then there's a huge amount of meta work. So what do I mean by that? Like, well, there's the work of building a podcast, for instance, and that's hard work. But then there's the work of of the psychology of trying to do something great because you're going to fail a lot. And what if one month we don't have as many viewers as the month before? You have to deal with the psychology that are, what if guests refuse you and then you see them on other podcasts? It's a little painful and, and, and you, you, you have to deal with all the psychology of, of, or, you know, like you said, how do you get better at interviewing? A lot of people just don't get better at interviewing and you have to 
start to understand what you're good at and what you're bad at, and then start to understand how can you improve the things you're bad at? Because it's not so easy. You know, people think you just have to study something and you get better at it. That's not true at all. Right. You have to, your brain has been driving down one highway, you know, all your life and you have to figure out how to take a new route. It's not that easy. Your, 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 maybe your car will break down if you try to go on dirt roads instead of the highway. And it, it's very hard to change, uh, even though it's necessary to achieve greatness. Not that greatness is always the goal. Sometimes the only goal is, is showing up for that change and that's success and always evolving and going on to the, you know, to the next thing. Like, look, you were an audio engineer. Uh, when I met you for, it was, this was your first podcast that you even listened to. And now you're producing a pot. You speak now you're like a major speaker at podcast conferences. I mean, and you consult about for, to people on how to set up their podcast and you just shot a writing course with me. Like you, you did all the shooting, directing, producing, and it's going to oh, launch soon on, on Udemy. Like that's a whole new, you know, avenue for or an outlet for us. So learning from these 1300 guests that every one of them, they kind of not only had their story, but they had their meta story. That, that to me was very interesting that you can't just, if you want to be good at tennis, you can't just learn how to serve. You have to learn how to deal with showing up at five in the morning for, you know, intense workouts every day. You have to learn to deal with loss. You have to learn to deal with the business side of being a professional tennis player. If you can't succeed as a professional tennis player, you have to decide how you're going to transform your advantages, the things that you learn in tennis into some other career that you're just as successful at and on and on. These are the meta skills and they're almost more important than the basic skills. So was there any down moment for you in podcasting? Yeah. Almost every moment. Wait, really? Yeah. It's like… What is the most down moment for you? Because I produced you for so long. Obviously, you know, every time you, you show up for the interview, you perform. You know, because podcasting is a performance. It's hard. It is. It's, it's hard totally work. a performance. Yeah. So like, I can't really see your downs. I, I think it's hard when… I think also constantly finding new ways to keep the podcast and show exciting is always difficult. Like that's frustrating because I want it to be good. So I'm always thinking, how could it be different and better? And how can I improve myself? And, you know, and I study other interviewers and there's also sometimes Jay, like you'll book me five different podcasts in a week and everybody's written two books and I've got to read 10 books in a week. So Sorry. all I'm doing is reading. And I'm like from six in the morning to 10 at night, I'm like reading books. And uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'm, Sometimes I'm happy when I book someone I'm on the show. I'm like, yeah, I did my job. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud. But then you, you have to do all the hard work. Yeah, no, but you have to do the hard work too. You have to deal with like, if I'm at the last minute, if I'm not ready, I'm not going to do an episode, which I think is going to be subpar. So I, I always have to ask you to reschedule sometimes. And I know that must be hard. Like the third time you're rescheduling someone or, or if I have suddenly something I have to do at the time and it happens to be somebody that you had already rescheduled. It's always, yeah. I'm sure that's painful too. Yeah, just the other day we say no to Obama, you know? <laughs> I know, like when I keep pushing Obama off until he gets finally he's like mad at me and then I feel really bad. He's former president of the United States, so. But yeah, I mean, it, it's hard work to perform in front of the podcasting. Like sometimes when I try to, you know, sometimes when we do like two-person podcast, just you and me, like I had to keep up with you. It's hard, like it's really hard. Like I never done this before. Not, not a lot, so like, uh, like I can felt like the pain Halfway through, through the interview, I'm like, oh shit! What if I run out of thing to ask? You know, 
I always worry about that too. And sometimes because I'm a little bit nervous, sometimes I'm asking a question and like midway through the question, I'll forget what question I'm asking. <laughs> and that's, that's sometimes hard because you're like, you're trying to juggle like a thousand things in your head. Like not only all the things about this person's story and, but you have to also remember what did they just say two minutes ago that you want, you remind yourself you wanted to follow up on, but first you let them finish. But then another question pops up in your head. Like in order to be good at podcasting or really to be good at anything, you have to be insanely curious. And, uh, and then, and you have to, sometimes you're not feeling curious that day. So you have to kind of, you know, motivate yourself to feel insanely curious and then keep track of all the things you're curious about. I try to write a few notes before the podcast, but I also like to let things go where they go instead of, you know, a formal outline. Right. So it's, it's complicated. It is a show. It is a kind of, uh, improvised performance for, for the hour or so that I'm, I'm doing an episode with somebody. You know, what really impressed me the most is that like every time a guest say something, I never see you write anything down. And then you can ask them the questions after. Yeah, I guess it's it's sort of like you get into this hyper focused state. Yeah, where they're the the guest is the only person in existence, and everything they're saying is like drops of diamonds, and you have to kind of gather all the diamonds and and you know spend them wisely, and and you just really focus on on what they're saying and who they are and what you're curious about, and you know you. I always remember these these guests are on the podcast for a reason. Like how many how for every one guest, how many people do you think pitch us? Uh we get pitched we all, the time. all the time. Like five. I would say maybe like ten. And also like Yeah, I would say it's about I would say it's about a ten to one ratio, yeah. give or take. And also like sometimes when people pitch to me, they will say like, Hey, I really love your podcast, and then they just write podcast name. Yeah, no, they <laughs> those those are all almost always rejections. I feel bad for the people who hire those publicists. Right. But, um, you know, someone's on the podcast because I'm already really interested in them. Like I don't, I won't settle for less than that. But consequently, I'm constantly getting frustrated because let's say I really did want the, the president of the United States on, uh, I'm probably not going to get him. And, you know, a lot of people say no to me and I mean, not a huge amount, but enough. And, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's something I have to push through as well. Right. So what's the plan for the next 10 years? I think, I think the key is to keep innovating on the format. Again, I always love interviewing people. Now, one thing we've heard over and over from guests, particularly recently, is the importance of being social. But now it's like the main people I speak to during the week are you, my wife, and my podcast guests. <laughs> and so... Part of the reason for doing the podcast is just to, to be social with these new people that I really admire. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a big thing for me, but so I want to continue doing interviews, obviously. Right. And I think there's a lot more to learn from. So everybody's got something to teach. The other day I was reading something that, uh, about a topic that interested me and I see a friend of mine quoted, apparently he's the expert in this. So we've never had him on the podcast. I plan on calling this guy oh, and seeing if he'll it? come on the podcast. Uh, Scott Barry Kaufman, if you're out there listening to this, come on my podcast. He, I've been on your podcast. No, he'd been on our show before during oh, the pandemic. Thought, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He was during the pandemic, and, and I was on yep. his. And then when he was in during the pandemic, yeah, he came, he came on, on when he came out with the book. Um, um, what was that book? I can't uh, remember the book. That was like I forget the names of all the books. Yeah, but he was great because I remember that was the first time we used Squadcast, and it 
because you know it was so new because the remote recording uh, industry. I think, was so I think new. his book was called Transcendent. Oh, um, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Transcend the new science of self actualization. Yeah, but he he he's he's really into something now called obsessive interest versus harmonious interest. Right, as a way of mastering a topic, it's better to be have harmonious interest as opposed to obsessive interest. Gotcha. And so I want to talk to him more about that because for anybody who wants to get better at anything, these are useful distinctions. And when I've tried describing it to others, they're always very fascinated. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, if, if Scott will come on again, I'm looking forward to, to having him on. Right. Yeah. We just, but, just have um, him on. I have one thing to pitch you. Yeah. You should open a bookstore and then at the back of the bookstore is a podcast studio. So anytime they do a pod, you know, like how people have new book come out, they want to, they have to promote their book. They can promote the book. Yeah, in they have bookstore. to come and do a book signing at the store and then do a, do book a reading. podcast after. You know, it was nice when when I had the stand up comedy club. Is that uh, you know we could always use the the comedy room though, where, where there's room for an audience, right? Yeah, to have podcasts. I mean, we had some. We had David Goggins on in yep. the, in the front of the audience. We, we had uh, John C. McGinley, and then we have Michio Kaku in front of the of the crowd, and then we oh, have William Shatner. William Shatner. We have Mike Love in front of the crowd. Remember Mike Love? Yeah, Mike Love. Well, he had the whole crowd singing. So Mike Love was the one of the main singers or the lead singer for the Beach Boys. Yeah. And so he had everybody singing Kokomo, Kokomo by the end. Yeah. So that was fun. You should just open a bookstore here. A small one. Don't have the big one. A small one, right? Because you know what? Who who go to a bookstore buy books anymore? No, right? I have to open up a bookstore in my house then because I, I never leave my yeah. house. And then and then they just come do book reading and then do a podcast during the book reading. And then that's a podcast. And then we meet pe yeah. new people, we meet new, we, you know, and then more people want to come on the show. Maybe Barack Obama will come on the show. And, you know, I always want to keep innovating, though. I want to find, you know, new ideas, new, maybe I go out and experience something and record it while I'm experiencing it. Kind of like, I really admire the formats in a lot of YouTube channels now. And I, and I think, you know, I'm looking to those people as potential inspirations of how their, you know, their formats, you know, like a little bit more commentary, uh, like I like uh, Moist Critical, uh, how he does this kind of very dry but like funny commentary on news events and memes uh. and stuff like that. So uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. And look, that's the competition is YouTube. I understand people listen to podcasts when they can't watch videos because they listen on the commute to work, they listen in the gym uh, and so on. But I mean, we were one of the few podcasts, according to our hosts, the people who host our podcast, we're one of the few podcasts that gained volume during the pandemic because people were no longer commuting. Right. And so they weren't listening to podcasts as much. But, you know, we were doing a lot of stuff about the pandemic, so people were listening to us. Yeah. But having that ability, though, to change formats and ideas, uh, you know, is is critical. Yeah. Speaking of changing format and, and constantly innovate, uh, innovating the podcast, so part of the whole reason why we did this we do this episode, this episode, and I pitched James doing this episode. Is we want to see what our listener, uh, listener habit is like. Like what's your, so we try to do like a listener survey. So there are like five questions in the in the in this Google form. Uh, one of it is like how and where do you find a show, and if you were to rec recommend a show to your friend, how would you pitch it? Would you make the show longer or shorter, and why? And then one of it is, 
Uh, this I have to ask you as well, James. So if the show dies tomorrow, if I die tomorrow and no other no other people can take over my role, and the show just died tomorrow, what would you miss the sh- miss most about the show? I I would really miss the fascinating interactions I have with people. Like I really love meeting new, interesting, exciting people. I've always loved that all my life, and people I'm curious about, and people who impress me and inspire me, and I want to kind of take what inspires me and interview them and hopefully it inspires all the listeners i think i would really miss kind of the social aspect of i mean like i said it wasn't exaggerating you and the in the podcast podcast guests are like the only people i talk to during the week so are the main people i talk to during the week so um you know i would miss that a lot and I, i would miss also to be you know to be honest i would miss you know i was just in a hotel the other day uh and Somebody comes up to me out of nowhere and says, "Oh, I love your podcast." And I, it's a little bit of ego, but I would miss that part too. I really, if you see me anywhere, please come up to me and tell me you you listen to the podcast. You don't even have to tell me you like the podcast; just tell me you listen to the podcast, and I'll be happy. Right. Or, or you, or, or you can say like, "I thought you were Mel, uh, Malcolm Gladwell." Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people say, "Oh, I I love Blink. <laughs> I love the Tipping Point." Right. Um. Uh, so Jay, what well, you said? There's a survey. What's the what's the URL right. for the sur- survey? So the URL for the survey is jamesaltachershow.com backslash listeners with the S. jamesaltachershow.com backslash listeners and James Altucher, Is it the James Altuchershow.com no, or James jamesaltachershow.com slash listener? So jamesaltachershow.com slash listeners. Listeners. And also, we are trying to bring back us Altucher again. So it's. It will be the similar link. Uh, it's it's a Google form as well for you to ask us anything. Ten, uh, just just James about anything. So the link for that is jamesoutachershow dot com slash askoutacher. So it's again jamesoutachershow dot com slash askoutacher. But yeah, James, thank you so much for you know for doing these episodes. You know, this is my first time hosting an episode. It's a, it's it's pretty heavy. It's is it's it's a it's a heavy weight to carry. Well, you 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 do a good job of it, Jay. Maybe you could host more for me. See, I I really want to be a co-host of anything because I feel like co-host is the best thing to do because the host would do anything, and if I find something funny, I'll just make funny comments, and that's it. I you know by the way, and 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 look, it could be the case that we end up doing more episodes, particularly we're in discussions with, despite what I said earlier about shows and radio shows and choosing myself. We have been approached by some radio companies about also doing this on on radio, so that could be interesting. Yeah. Again, as long as I'm not begging for it, I'm happy. <laughs> when they come to me is when is when you know things are right. Yeah. People come to us for for almost everything. Yeah, which is which is good. All right. Um, but Jay, thanks so much for suggesting we do this. It's going to be a fun year with the 10th year anniversary of this podcast. And we'll think of a lot of fun things to do. And we have a lot of great guests coming up and things that I've been inspired yeah, by. I, I think at the 10 years anniversary, we should do a live episode of all the guests that you like come on, play a chess with you and do a podcast at the same time. No matter like how good yeah. the chess is, they have to play at least one game. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> all right. Thanks, James. Thanks, Jay.
Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.